Super Talk Mississippi media production. Normally when it's Alabama week through the years, if you've been a longtime listener to this podcast, you know we always call upon our friend Michael Casagrande from AL.com. But Michael has moved on to uh, uh, bigger and better things at AL.com and has brought in a fresh crop of Alabama guys. So let's meet one of them today. Nick Alvarez, he covers the Crimson Tide for AL.com. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. You come to Alabama at a time where you know, I can't tell if they're in transition or not. There are some people who tell you that they're still the favorite in the SEC West. There are people like me who voted them second. With, with Alabama in this, I don't know if flux is the right word, transition, but are they are they more dangerous than usual because people some people are discounting them? I mean, on the so first off, got to give a shout out to Mike Casagrande. Yeah. Um, obviously, got got a pair of respect to him. Um, and so just to kind of give some context, this will be my second year on the beat first kind of formally. Uh, but yeah, so and when you look at Alabama, I don't think the general perception of Alabama from us, the media, the outside, the fans, I don't think that really matters in the building. Um, I think we saw last year at Georgia, we saw with the Kansas City Chiefs, any team, no matter how good they are, no matter how historically good they are, they can conjure up some rat poison, you know, if it's served the right way. What I do think is interesting about this Alabama team is that from a talent standpoint, it's really hard to kind of pin down where they are at some key positions. But when you kind of look at the schedule and you look at how close those games were last year, even considering a lot of the issues that this year's team may have will were very, very apparent last year, it's hard to see where they've taken maybe a huge step back aside from the obvious Bryce Young and Will Anderson and some other defensive starters. So I don't think it's unfair to say that there's a wide range of outcomes on the table for Alabama this year. We could be looking at a historic three loss season if things go really bad, but I also would not be surprised if Alabama is undefeated and, you know, playing in that SC title game against Georgia. A historic three loss season. If things go really bad. I mean, talk about how the other half lives. That is, that is a, that's a heck of a <laughs> statement. You, you know, you look at the Alabama at the quarterback position. Obviously, that's where everybody's had their eyes. Tyler Buckner coming in uh, from Notre Dame, Jalen Milrow, and 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 Ty Simpson kind of battled it out in the spring. You know, I'll ask you who you think is going to end up with that job. But the the main question to me is, does it really matter? Does what Alabama wanted wants to do offensively? Does it change with any one of those guys? I think. I mean, just from the obvious standpoint, you're going to see more of a run first offense if it's Milrow who takes the job. Um, if I had. Uh, kind of handicap it right now, I'd, it'd be pretty surprising if Buckner doesn't get the first at least attempt at a starting job. Just it'd be really weird for him to come in when he has another option on the table to pair up with Tommy Reese again, Alabama's new offensive coordinator from their time in Notre Dame. And again, Alabama wouldn't have gone looking in the portal for a quarterback if they didn't, you know, if they if they had an answer already at who they wanted to start or maybe an inkling of who it was between Ty and Jalen, they would have never gotten Tyler. Saban said that during his uh, press conference in, in the spring. He said it again during media days. You only, Alabama, you only go into the portal unless you need someone. So under that, under like using that logic, I would give Buckner the odds. And to answer your second question, yes and no. Like I, I think from watching Alabama football last year, it was truly exceptional what Bryce Young did. And I think a lot of it was him doing it himself, like Jameer Gibbs, insane talent, uh, Cameron Latu at tight end, some good receivers. But Bryce was making a lot of it, ha- making a lot of it happen for them on the on the run in some tight moments. Saban wants to get away from that this year. He doesn't want to need a Heisman level quarterback 
number one draft pick level play at quarterback to lift up the offense. I think they want to run. I think they want to shorten games. They want to let a defense that's as talented as any in the SEC, maybe aside from Georgia, really go to work. So I think the biggest thing, and you've heard this from other people, is you just need to limit turnovers. But when you look at the big play potential, Ty Simpson gives you some of that. You, You always hear rave things about his arm. So I think there's some interesting wrinkles that the quarterback can add. But no, the base of Alabama's offense this year will be we're going to run the ball down your throat because they have three, maybe four, really, really, really good running backs. Not just depth pieces, but you know, quality level starters. And some of the underclassmen they brought in, um, everyone's talked about Justice Haynes. Richard Young is also really talented from Florida. Both were five stars in 2023. Um, and then the returners. I mean, Jace McClellan, McClellan was huge. Roydell Williams uh, has talent. So I, Jermarian Miller uh, turned some heads in his uh, burst of playing time last year. So I think that can kind of be the strength of the Alabama offense, regardless of who's under center. You kind of hit on my next question. You know, when you think about Alabama over the last few years, you know, names like Devontae Smith and Najee Harris, uh, Jerry Judy. I mean, superstars, guys who were first round picks in in the NFL. And Alabama this year doesn't really seem to have that star quality at the uh, at the skill positions. Who are some guys that could you know really break out this year? And we'll be talking about them as potential NFL guys by the end of the season. It's really interesting that you bring that up because I've been rattling that around in my head from one of the earliest press conferences of the spring when Saban, when discussing the quarterback, said, I really, really like the group we have around him this year, whoever it is. And I kind of got to thinking, well, who's different That's not that wasn't here a year ago? Um, and the wide receiver room has veteran talent. Um, Jermaine Burton, had, he started for Georgia. He started for Alabama. So while he might not have numbers, there's clearly some trust in kind of what he can bring to the field. Malik Benson is a JUCO, you know, one of the highest rated JUCO transfers coming in uh, from Kansas. They see his big body and his ability to go get the ball. Something really special with some kind of with more speed than you think for someone in his body type at kind of six one. Um, and then, you know, Jacoy Brooks has kind of always been on the outside looking in in terms of like the premier receiver options on the team. There are some freshmen who stood up last year, but again, I'm going to kind of be a broken record, and I'm just going to go back to those running backs. Like, Justice Haynes made a mark in the spring, and he might be the third running back in the depth chart week one, just because they really liked what they got last year from Jason McClellan and Roydell in specific moments when, obviously, Jameer Gibbs was setting records. So I think those are the guys who, if you're going to see crazy offensive numbers, it's going to come from that running back room. You know, Tommy Reese likes tight ends. That's kind of a more older school type of football thinking. I would say that, you know, that creates an opportunity for some of the younger tight ends they have in the roster at Mari Kneeblack, um, Daniel Lewis Jr. But they also have Miles Kitzelman, another JUCO transfer from the same team as Malik Benson. And then CJ Dupree from Maryland was kind of the big name transfer. They brought it in there. So it's really nothing that's going to kind of light your hair on fire offensively. But, I mean, these kids were also all, you know, for more or less four or five stars coming out. So it just takes, you know, one coach to unlock them or one good season, and you know, we'll be talking about another great Alabama skill player. Defensively, this is a, a group that should be elite. It should be as good as any Alabama defense we've seen the past few years. But you mentioned it a little earlier. they got to replace Will Anderson, who, who was just an absolute force the last two seasons. Who are the candidates to do that? There's really only one candidate, and he was there – you know, messing up backfields with what last year, it's Dallas Turner. Um, he is stud. Like, he is so talented. 
Uh, I think the number one way to express that when Kool-Aid McKinstry was asked at Media Days, hey, Dallas called himself the best defensive player in the SEC. Do you agree? And the reporter was trying to get him to kind of go back and forth about his teammate a little bit. Kool-Aid was immediately like, nope, he's the best defensive player in the SEC. He makes my job a lot easier in terms of rushing the quarterback. And like, I just, that's just what it is with Dallas. He is an elite, elite pass rusher who will be going in the first round of next year's NFL draft. Um, on the other side, I think they're going to be looking toward a veteran, Chris Braswell, who got a lot of snaps last year. He'll be coming in. Jaheim Hodas on the defensive line was revelation is a strong word, but he came in, I think he lost like 70, 80 pounds mm-hmm. as of from the time he got on campus when he was a freshman. And he him. starred. Yeah. So he'll be back, obviously, right? So he'll be back around. Um, in the secondary, there's this intriguing mix of kind of veteran pieces you maybe want to see a little bit more from based on their previous track record, whether it's transfers, Jalen Key, Trey Amos, or uh, Christian Story, a local kid who's been around forever. And then this, an influx of really, really, oh, Terry and Arnold, also opposite Kool-Aid on the defensive end and cornerback. I think if you want to look at a position where you want to see maybe who's, what's the what's that room going to look like defensively, I think you want to look at the linebackers. Um, Henry Teroto was really, really good collegiate football player in terms of shooting the gap and just kind of being just kind of a homing beacon in the middle of that Bama defense. Who's going to replace him in that production? Uh, they brought in Tresman Marshall from Georgia. Um, haven't gotten a chance to talk to him yet, but I mean, by all accounts, it seems like he may have that position locked up. Um, and I think what's interesting about this Alabama defense is the only thing they were really bad at last year was the Tennessee game, which I, no one knows what went wrong that game except for those coaches on both sides. And just the penalties, which were just so unsaban like that it drew up some of those nonsense questions about the dynasty ending and Saban's legacy. So you'll get Tennessee at home this year to answer some of those problems. But if the penalties go away, this Alabama defense was already one of the best in the country. And while they lost some experience on the back end and obviously Will's talent, they have more than enough pieces. Because I haven't even mentioned Caleb Downs, Des Riggs, Jaleel Hurley but specifically Downs as a five-star safety coming in from Georgia. Like there's a chance he starts week one. And it wouldn't be because Alabama's running out of options. It'd be because that kid just has that special level of ability to go get the ball and then kind of be a thumper a little bit too, despite his size. Everybody's going to be looking early season at week two when uh, when Texas comes to Alabama. A, a year ago, that game was shockingly competitive. I don't think anybody saw Texas hanging around and, and giving Alabama the scare they ended up doing. And I think this is a you know a better Texas team coming to Tuscaloosa. What you you mentioned you know going bad. What happens if it goes bad week two and Alabama's sitting there at one and one? I think it's a very good question. Um, and, and you know I still can't get over the fact that Quinn Ewers injured himself kind of like Colt McCoy did in the first mm-hmm. half of that game because he was slugging it against Alabama's defense. That was gonna be a really fun game where he got hurt and it was still fun but a little different. I think, kind of go back to my earlier point, Alabama's going to need the running game from the from the jump. Because if its defense is still sorting itself out or it can't afford against a Texas to like need you know 20 points in the second half. Not saying it's going to get to that point. But they're going to need to be able to score and control the game early. If it goes one-on-one, well, that's the beauty, beauty of the schedule. You'd have about a week or two, and then you have Ole Miss come into town. To kind of solve some of your problems. A lot of Alabama's tougher games, the LSU, Tennessee, that's a little bit later in the year. 
and even last made, year. You just made a lot of friends on this podcast and with our <laughs> listeners describing Ole Miss as a way to solve your problems. I just want to let you know. <laughs> gotcha. Well, good, good. Well, like, I think that's like you. I, I, I don't think this from a pure talent standpoint, this Alabama team is as good as it was a year ago. And that has yet to be seen in some cases, but that's just my general opinion. But then again, I can't say that they're going to be worse than they were a year ago because all those tough games, they're going to be in Brian Denny. Like Alabama was missing that road, you know, killer instinct mentality a year ago. They didn't have it. They're not, again, no disrespect to the road opponents Alabama will have this year. They're really, I mean, Texas A&M notwithstanding, but that game is going to be di- big for different reasons. Like Alabama really just needs to prove that it's not going to beat itself. And a lot of times last year, it seemed like it was going to constantly find a way to do that. So if it's 1-1, I don't think the sky is is falling. We'll be reminded that's the last time that Texas game will be non-conference. And then we'll move on. I think the more important thing is the running game has to be going. And whoever's playing quarterback has to not turn the ball over. Because if that becomes an issue, then you're not having trust in the offense. And then those receivers don't seem like the type that are going to be able to pick the guy up. Then we're going to have some questions that may be not, you know, Bill O'Brien play calling related, which a lot of fans down here really like to pull out whenever the offense was struggling a year ago. Let's talk specifically with our last question here about Mississippi State versus Alabama. Quite frankly, it's a series that's just been uncompetitive over the last five years. Uh, State has only gotten to the end zone once in the last three years against the Crimson Tide. They haven't scored more than nine points in a game in the last five years. It's an MSU team that's going to be focused more on running the football. They're a veteran team. I heard Josh Pate talking last night about Mississippi State. 19 of State's 22 starters are seniors. You feel like that's a team that could compete you know, with Alabama just because they've seen it all and they're, they're grown men. When you look at this game you know, uh, at the end of September, which it's odd to be playing that game so early in the season, is this a Mississippi State team that Alabama should you know be worried about in, in some sense? I think from a worried about standpoint, if I ask if I ask Saban that he'll you know chew my head off like he did one last year about respecting your opponent no matter what. And anyone could be you and be careful, Nick. Um, <laughs> of course. But in regard to Mississippi State, I kind of look at that as one of those games, maybe a little bit like the Kentucky game, where it's like, all right, Alabama's gonna need to take a team's best shot and also, you know, have a have some trouble getting off the bus that morning. Like there's just gonna have to be something falling off. Because I don't, I'm from the Northeast, so my college football experience has been through college at Syracuse, which is nothing compared to Alabama. And then coming down here and kind of learning and living that it just means more. I don't think the sky is going to be falling this year for Alabama, but, you know, one of those, a loss to Mississippi State in, after the recent history that you explained, or another loss to LSU or Tennessee, we maybe get some of those feelings going. But, I don't think that's what we're going to be getting if Alabama doesn't live up to the expectations of, which is historically low for them. It's like potentially three losses, maybe second in the SEC West. So I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm losing some of the friends I made earlier. (laughs) I feel bad for Alabama. What a, what a, what a horrible situation to be in that you might only go 10 and two. I I can't imagine how, how that's affecting them. I, I, my prayers and thoughts and prayers are are with the Crimson Tide <laughs> fans at this time. Nick Alvarez, AL.com, man. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.